So um, last week, as Paul said, we shared the exciting news um, of the first church plant from Carrick Fergus Vineyard, um, which will be led by Andy and Andrea. And just wanted to dispel a couple of myths about that, that Andy and Andrea will not be disappearing. They probably will not start Sunday straight away, so they're still allowed to come and visit us. They're still part of us. So you don't have to say goodbye. After the summer, they will not disappear into the abyss of the Antrim coast. So just wanted to let you know that. But since um, we've obviously been thinking about a church starting from scratch, from nothing going to a new place it got me thinking about how do churches start and what's it like and what's it like to go somewhere new and see long to see God's kingdom come there and people experience the love of Jesus so I thought it would be pretty good um, to look at the first church in the Bible and read the book of Acts so I've been reading the Passion Translation um, just to be a bit different so I just want to share some stuff this morning from the, the book of Acts really And the book of Acts takes up the story where the Gospel of Luke leaves off. Jesus has died on the cross and he has appeared to his disciples at different times. Then he's taken up into heaven. But he said he would send a gift that his father had promised. And the disciples were to wait in Jerusalem for the gift. And the gift was that we would, they would be baptized by the Holy Spirit. So Acts chapter 1 verse 8 says this. But I promise you this. The Holy Spirit will come upon you and you will be filled with power. And you will be my messengers to Jerusalem throughout Judea, the distant provinces, even to the remotest places on earth. And before um, I say anything else, I wanted us to think together about who are these people that Jesus is talking to. He's talking to his disciples, the disciples who Jesus chose to be with him. These are the founders of the church. And let's be honest, they weren't the most educated people. They weren't the most talented. They weren't the most dynamic. So to start the first church, Jesus didn't choose this elite band of preachers, teachers, strategists, and church planters. And we've been kind of looking at this a wee bit on our Thursday morning life group using a book called Naturally Supernatural. Last week we were talking about what the disciples were like. So think about it. When Peter opened his mouth, he usually put his foot in it. James and John were nicknamed Sons of Thunder because they had a really bad temper. We're also told in the Gospels that they were ambitious. Jesus has just told them that he's going to die on the cross. What do James and John say? They say, could you do us a favor? After you've done all of that suffering, could we sit at your right and your left and be really important people? Like Jesus wasn't super impressed by that. Some of you will identify with this one. They're also pretty competitive. As Peter and John ran to the tomb when they heard that Jesus had risen from the dead, John couldn't resist telling us that he was actually a faster runner than Peter. It says, um, they ran to the tomb, they started out together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. So they're competitive, they're bad-tempered, they're also sometimes even vengeful and violent. When some Samaritan villages didn't invite the disciples in for a cup of tea, their suggestion to Jesus was, shall we call down fire from heaven and have them burnt up? So he must have wondered, are these guys ever going to get it? Like, really? Are these the ones I've chosen? One of the other disciples, Simon, was a zealot. In other words, he was trying to violently overthrow the occupying Roman army. So in today's terms, he would probably be called a terrorist. 
Matthew collected taxes from his own people on behalf of the occupying Roman power and was regarded as a traitor to Israel. So you can guess what those two kind of maybe thought about each other at some point. Think about Thomas. He is every pastor's worst nightmare. He's negative. He doesn't believe anything anyone says. And he always seems to see that the cup is half empty. But Jesus chose these people. He chose these disciples. He loved them. He was committed to them. For three years, they misunderstood things he said. They had wrong motives, but he didn't give up on them. In, his, in the end, his love changed them, and they started the first church, and that totally changed the world. And one of the things I loved that the guy shared last week was they're just ordinary people being obedient to God's call. And God has put a love in their heart for the Antrim coast and the people there. Obedience is God's love language. So God uses these disciples to begin a church that changes the world. And it starts with obedience. Jesus says to the disciples, come follow me. So they come and follow him. You don't have to be the most eloquent, skilled, equipped person to be a disciple. You just have to follow Jesus. And I was reading in Acts chapter 1 as well, when the believers were choosing another person to take the place of leadership of Judas Iscariot, who betrayed Jesus. You know, even then, it doesn't seem to me that they're looking around the room saying, so, who has developed excellent leadership skills in this last while? And whenever Jesus sent out the 72, they weren't going, hmm, who was the standout person on that mission trip? You know, who cast out the most demons? Who's got the biggest tally chart? Their criteria was, who has been with us all along and who has been a witness to Jesus' resurrection? You can see it here in Acts chapter 1. Who has seen Jesus? Choose his replacement from those who have been with us from the beginning until Jesus' ascension, and like us, they must be a witness of his resurrection. Guys, this is church. This is us. We have seen Jesus. We believe in his resurrection. We've seen him do amazing things, and we choose to follow him and be obedient. We are the disciples. We are who God chooses. This is church. This is us. And in 2 Corinthians 12, verse 9, it says, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. We might feel weak. Andy and Andrea probably are pretty scared right now to plant a church. But they're not relying on their own strength and ability. They're relying on Jesus. And as we continue what God has called us to do in this place, in this community, we need to trust in Jesus and look to him and follow what he's called us to. And some of you sitting here this morning, I know you disqualify yourselves. You know, you look at other people and you think, oh, they're the experts. They know what they're doing. They know how to pray. They're holier than me. They're wiser than me. Like even in our life group on Thursday morning, one of the girls was sharing how she'd been asked to pray at the reach night and she was so nervous and scared about it and she did it. But even afterwards, she just felt like I did that all wrong. I've ruined this church. I need to go and tell Chantel I've mucked this up. And we were able to say to her, that is not true. You put yourself out there, you bless people, you prayed for them, and that is not God's voice telling you that. In fact, that is the enemy, and that's what Life Group does. We're in community, we can share with each other, we can correct each other, we can encourage each other. 
The qualification is you've witnessed in your heart the resurrection of Jesus and you choose to follow him. Follow him. So I want to say this morning, we are all in. There are no superheroes around here. God's power is made perfect in, in our weakness. So that's the baseline set, okay? You're all in. You're all the disciples. And now I just want to suggest three things from reading about the first church in the book of Acts that Andy and Andrea and their team and everyone who joins them are going to need and that we are going to need as we continue to see God's kingdom come around this place. And the first thing is prayer. Sounds pretty obvious, right? But let's look at Acts chapter 1, 12 to 15. This is the Passion Translation. The disciples left the Mount of Olives and returned to Jerusalem less than a mile away. Arriving there, they went into a large second floor room to pray. Those present were Peter, John, Jacob, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, Jacob, the son of Alphaeus, Simon the Zealot, Judas, the son of Jacob, and a number of women, including Mary, Jesus' mother. His brothers were there as well. All of them were united in prayer, gripped with one passion, interceding day and night. During this time, Peter stood up among the 120 believers who were gathered. So this is after the disciples have been with Jesus. He's ascended to heaven. They return to Jerusalem. And this is how it all begins, with 120 disciples in a 10-day prayer meeting. This explains why the beginning of the church is so explosive, why the, the Holy Spirit outpouring that comes that results in tongues, prophecy, miracles, salvations, and the birthing of countless churches. If we are going to see God's kingdom come in Carrickfergus and Whitehead, if they're going to see God's kingdom come in Larne and Glenarm and all those places, we need to pray. We can't just keep standing on the prayers of the saints of the past and people who have prayed before us. We need to cry out today. We need to cry out for God to move like those first disciples did. Every time in history we see a move of God, it's because there has been prayer first of all. And this week I've been reading about revival in the Hebrides. I've even got a map for you, Paul. Yes, I am kind to my husband. So... This is the situation in the Isle of Lewis in the late 1940s. There's no conversions. The island youth are rebellious. They're lost in sinful pastimes. They likened becoming Christian to catching the plague. So the church leaders decided to do something about it. They issued a proclamation calling on the Lewis Christian community to examine their spiritual state and petition God to send repentance before it's too late. Most people ignored them, they didn't bother, but two dear aged sisters took what they said to heart and began interceding for the island in devoted prayer. The Smith sisters knew the living God and they were in earnest. Two days a week from 10 in the evening till 3 in the morning, week in, week out, they took hold of God. Oh, the people God uses. Blind Peggy and our arthritic sister Christine were too infirm to get to church services, hadn't a clue about being, healing being part of their salvation. But they knew God and they were passionate for his glory and he met with them and he honoured their faith. What happened on the Isle of Lewis? He came in such a powerful presence upon the isle that sinners fled from their sins at all hours of the day and night, calling on God to save them. On their fishing boats in the fields, sinners broke down and cried out for mercy before hearing a single word from any preacher. 
Ministers had to hold four church services in the evening. Such was the hunger for God. 7 p.m., 10 p.m., midnight, and 3 a.m. every day. Often the church was packed to the doors with more souls outside praying in the fields than inside. God roused sinners from their beds. Others couldn't sleep and went to their knees. Weavers were struck down in trances, saved at their looms. Far farmers tilling the land habitually stopped at midday for two hours of prayer. Most of the people saved in the revival were born again outside any church building. Preachers generally didn't need to lead them to an altar call for salvation. Instead, they left them to God, believing that he could possibly be the best person to rate their soul. One lad fell to his knees in a pigsty and was wonderfully born again. Not long after, he was late coming home from the fields. A search party went out to find him and found him face down in the heather, repeating over and over, Oh, Jesus, I love you. I love you, Jesus. When he was asked to pray during a particularly stiff service, just three sentences of prayer brought forth the fire of God. The preacher, Duncan Campbell, said that more souls were saved through young Donald's prayers than all the preaching of all the preachers in the revival. If we want to see God's kingdom come, we need to pray. The second thing that these guys are going to need and that we need big time is power. We need the Holy Spirit and we need his power. If you read the book of Acts, it would be appropriate to also call it the Acts of the Holy Spirit. God uses men and women to fulfill his purpose, those who are empowered, filled, anointed and overflowing with the Holy Spirit. That's us. That's us, guys. The book of Acts gives us startling details of how the church began. We're going to read from Acts chapter 2. The Holy Spirit comes at Pentecost. On the day Pentecost was being fulfilled, all the disciples were gathered in one place. Suddenly they heard the sound of a violent blast of wind rushing into the house from out of the heavenly realm. The roar of the wind was so overpowering it was all anyone could bear. Then all at once a pillar of fire appeared before their eyes. It separated into tongues of fire that engulfed each one of them. They were all filled and equipped with the Holy Spirit and were inspired to speak in tongues, empowered by the Spirit to speak in languages they had never learned. So Acts chapter 2, this is the Holy Spirit and he comes suddenly. We cannot control the Spirit of God. We can't dictate. We can't tell him what to do. One writer says he keeps his own hours. He knows what is best for us. And I want you to notice from these verses a couple of things. He, as well as coming suddenly, he comes audibly. Suddenly they heard the sound of a violent blast of wind rushing into the house from out of the heavenly realm. The roar of the wind was so overpowering it was all anyone could bear. Imagine that. Imagine if we're just sitting here right now and the rushing wind comes in. It's so overpowering. Imagine that. It's so visual as well. Look at ver verse 3. A pillar of fire appeared before their eyes. It separated into tongues of fire that engulfed each one of, that, uh, one of them. Imagine that. Imagine if I am just standing here and a big pillar of fire comes and imagine if it splits up and all of you have a big pillar of fire above your head, a tongue of fire. The Holy Spirit is doing something new. It's impossible for them to learn a language in like 10 seconds. They speak in languages they did not previously know. 
The Holy Spirit comes suddenly. He surprises us. It can be audible. It can be visual. It can be something that we can never expect. And I want to say today that I believe we need to stop putting the Holy Spirit into a box. Like, what must it have been like in that stiff service on the Isle of Lewis when that young lad, who was overcome with the love of Jesus, just prayed a few sentences and the fire of God came? We need the power of the Holy Spirit in our gatherings here, and we need it to overflow into this broken world. As I said, most of the people saved in the revival in Lewis were born again outside of the church building. Um, It said the pub had to close, crime ceased, the police jail was left unused. Virtually every person on Lewis and Harris was saved during the three-year revival. People came in boatloads from neighboring communities and the revival spread throughout the Western Isles. And it wasn't just a flash in the pan, it wasn't just a fad, there was real fruit, the fruit lasted. Missionaries who were saved in the Lewis Awakening served God all across the world. So we need the Holy Spirit and we need his power. Without the Holy Spirit, there is no church, there's no evangelistic impact, there's no miracles, there's no expression of God's power. It is not by human means, human power, or human might, but by the limitless power of the Holy Spirit that God's kingdom advances on the earth. Jesus builds his church through the Holy Spirit. That is what he left for us. That is the gift he has given us. It's the Holy Spirit that fills us. It's the Holy Spirit that enables us as church to carry out the mission, to witness to the gospel, to anoint us to perform mighty wonders. And like I said before, it's not just for the holy ones, the select few. The promised gift is given to all who call on the name of Jesus. Someone once said, it's dead in the graveyard, but it's messy in the nursery. We need life, and sometimes it's not always neat and tidy. Sometimes we can't explain it. Sometimes we can't put it in our little box. Jesus himself had the Holy Spirit. Luke 4, it's well known to loads of us, but I'm reading it in the Passion Translation. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to be hope for the poor, freedom for the brokenhearted, new eyes for the blind, to preach to prisoners, you are set free. I have come to share the message of Jubilee for the time of God's great acceptance has begun. If we're going to see God set set people free, we need prayer. And we need the power of the Holy Spirit. The third thing I want to share today that I've thought about when reading in the first church of Acts is we need perseverance. We need to keep showing up. We need to not give up. Sometimes we're not sure what's happening. Sometimes we just have to wait. Jesus told those disciples, go to Jerusalem and wait for the gift that's promised. Ten days they waited, united in prayer, gripped with one passion, interceding night and day. They didn't know when the Holy Spirit was going to show up. You know, it says he came suddenly. They didn't get a memo saying, right, tomorrow at seven he'll be on his way. They didn't give up after two days and go, oh lads, there's nothing happening here, let's just go to the Chinese. They didn't give up. They waited. They did what they were told. They kept showing up. They persevered. Perseverance, steady persistence in a course of action, especially 
in spite of difficulties, obstacles, or discouragement. And this is lovely. I didn't know this when I looked it up in the dictionary. Theologically speaking, continuance in a state of grace to the end, leading to eternal salvation. We need perseverance. Look at Acts chapter 2, verse 5. At that time, there were Jewish worshippers who had emigrated from many different lands to live in Jerusalem. When the people of the city heard the roaring sound, crowds came running to see where it was coming from, stunned over what was happening, because each one could hear the disciples speaking in his or her own language. Bewildered, they said to one another, aren't these all Galileans? How is it that we hear them speaking in our own languages? We are Northeastern Iranians, Northwestern Iranians, Elamites, those from Mesopotamia, Judea, East Central Turkey, the coastal areas of the Black Sea, Asia, North Central Turkey, Southern Turkey, Egypt, Libyans, who are neighbors of Cyrene, visitors from all over the Roman Empire, Jews, converts to Judaism, Cretans, and Arabs. Yet we hear them speaking of God's mighty wonders in our own dialects. They all stood there, dumbfounded and astonished, saying to one another, What is this phenomenon? But others put fun of them and said they're just drunk and new wine. So people are drawn to what's happening. They're bewildered, they're stunned, they're wondering. But there it is in Acts chapter and the verse 13. Pentecost, the Holy Spirit has just come, move powerfully, the promised gift from Jesus, and already people are poking fun at them, misunderstanding them, making wrong assumptions misinterpreting what is happening and if you read on in the book of acts it actually gets worse in acts chapter 4 peter and john's teaching and preaching angers the priests the police and the sadducees and they get arrested by chapter 5 the apostles are being persecuted but through it all they persevere after this pentecost outpouring after being misunderstood and wrongfully accused, Peter preaches a blinding sermon. The crowd respond, and 3,000 people are saved. Those who believed the word that day numbered 3,000. They were all baptized and added to the church. So what we need, guys, is perseverance. We need to keep standing, stand firm, don't give up through heart read on through the book of acts i really encourage you to read acts this week through hardships shipwrecks imprisonment riots trials they see the dead raised they see miracles they see salvation they see signs and wonders they see the kingdom advancing everywhere they go this is the early church this is the first church um, acts chapter 2 42 to 47, loads of us might know this. It describes what the first church is like, the community of believers. This is it in the Passion. Every believer was faithfully devoted to following the teaching of the apostles. Their hearts were mutually linked to one another, sharing communion and coming together regularly for prayer. A deep sense of holy awe swept over everyone, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. All the believers were in fellowship as one body, and they shared with one another whatever they had. Out of generosity, they even sold their assets to distribute the proceeds to those who were in need among them. Daily, they met together in the temple courts in one another's homes to celebrate communion. They shared meals together with joyful hearts and tender humility. They were continually filled with praises to God, enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord kept adding to their number daily those who were coming to life. Wow, what a church, what a description of church. 
This is what it was like, devoted to teaching, hearts mutually linked, sharing communion, coming regularly for prayer, deep sense of holy awe, signs and wonders, all in fellowship, sharing with one another, living generously, sharing meals, meeting regularly, joyful hearts, continually filled with praises, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. I say this with humility, but I see this in our church. I see this happening amongst us. I see some of you devoted to teaching and the Bible and living it out every day. I see some of you coming regularly for prayer, saying, God, I need you. I can't do this on my own. I see you sharing meals in homes. I see signs and wonders. Two weeks ago in my life group, one of the girls said, I've got a really sore hip. I'm so frustrated. I can't walk my dog. I, I can't do the things. I, I couldn't even come to life group last week because it was so sore. And we prayed for her. And last week she came back and she said, I might walk on my dog again. My hip is good and I am okay. And I have to confess, I was pretty much as surprised as everybody else because I still get doubts. I still am not the super Christian who believes every time I pray for someone, God's going to heal them. But we are seeing signs and wonders. We are seeing people healed. We are seeing people set free. We are seeing people struggling with mental health find Jesus and come alive. We are seeing God... We are seeing salvation through Alpha, through people sharing their faith. We are seeing God doing amazing things. I see hearts mutually linked. I know I'm bumming on about it, but my life group on a Thursday morning, every week I come out and I say, wow, people encouraging each other, hearts mutually linked together, praying for one another. And that's happening across life groups. I'm only speaking about my one. Stories of people giving to others in need without anyone else having to know about it. You know, we need to share with one another. Let's look at what this picture of the first church was like and say, how can we do that? How can we be that? And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. That is attractive. When people see the church really living it like that, they're going to go, what is this? They're going to be amazed and astounded and be going, what is going on here? I want to be part of this. I just want to encourage us all today. Let's share with one another and let's live generously towards this new vineyard church happening along the Antrim coast. You know, these guys need resources you know someone has to buy the coffee someone has to take out the boring insurance someone has to pay for the website those are just the practical things it doesn't all just happen out of thin air they need resources so i just really want to encourage you to think about in the next two weeks what's god asking me to give so we can see his kingdom come along the antrim coast for this church plant, they're going to need these three things. They're going to need prayer, they're going to need power, and they're going to need perseverance. Here at Carrick Fergus Vineyard, this thing, those things are still true for us. We need to be praying, we need the Holy Spirit, we need his power, and we need perseverance. That is church, guys.